morning uh, to stand up in front of you guys and preach. Uh, I'm, I am I'm very excited when I have the opportunity to speak in here. Um, I'm, I'm super excited. I got up this morning and um, I was getting ready and uh, uh, Lindsay and I were, were getting ready and, and, and I put on my clothes and, and she said, oh, she said, you're, you're wearing jeans today. And I said, not anymore. <laughs> and so, so I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to my wife. She's, she's beautiful and smart and in here somewhere. Um, and, uh, uh, and so I, I walked back out and she goes, oh, I, I forgot you had that shirt. It sure is gray. And I said, I'll change. <laughs> so, uh, so with, without, my, without my wife, uh, I would be so lost. I'm so thankful for her, and, and I'm sure she's in here. Uh, otherwise, I would have said the exact same thing. Um, uh, it's an honor to be here this morning. I, I am usually on Sunday mornings. I'm anywhere from uh, teaching our Epic Middle students, which are, are our junior high students. They're sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Um, they have their own service over in the youth room, uh, and a lot of times I teach in there. Sometimes I'm in our elementary group. It's called Big City uh, on Sunday mornings. That's first to fifth grade, and uh, I hang out in there sometimes. And then every once in a while, I peek in on Critterland, which are the little bitty ones, uh, zero years to uh, K-5. And um, I get to spend a lot of my time with teams of volunteers uh, every Sunday morning who absolutely love your kids and your students. They really, really do. We have on any given week uh, uh, around 100 staff, volunteers, and coordinators serving our groups ranging from zero to eighth grade in this church. And they absolutely love your kids. Can I tell you this? Your kids are in really good hands. Your students are in really good hands. We had a spectacular week at our youth camp, Beach Freak. Uh, it sounds crazy, uh, and it is crazy. We were down at the beach and uh, have a great time hanging out and making, uh, developing relationships with the students. Not only that, uh, but spending uh, an amazing time with Jesus at night in our services. And we had some students absolutely get rocked by God uh, this week. Absolutely. Uh, but your kids, are in, your kids are in good hands. If you are a, a, a volunteer, a coordinator, a staff person, uh, you, you somehow serve kids during the week, uh, anywhere between ages zero to eighth grade, would you just raise your hand real, real high? Raise your hand real, real high. Raise it high. I see some people who don't have their hands up. Would you guys give them a hand clap? I had a... Uh, I had a mom come up to me. We just had promotion Sunday where all of our kids' groups uh, uh, moved up to the, to the next group that they're supposed to go up to. And I had a mom of a first grader come up to me, and she spent the service with her first grader in Big City, which is the elementary group. And she came up to me afterwards, and she said, I, I had no idea. I didn't know it was like this back here. I mean, I, I, mean, I assumed that y'all talked about Jesus, but <laughs> I, had, I didn't know really what happened. She said, the worship was amazing. The lesson was amazing. You guys kept their attention, and they had games going on. And she said, my, my kid absolutely loves it. I love it. I'm going to come back. And so let me tell you this. Uh, your, your leaders and your coordinators and your staff people of the children's ministries, they, I, I know them. They, they love kids, and they love Jesus, and they love uh, serving in there. And they're in good hands. If you're interested, 
in knowing more about some of our teams or, or participating in one of our kids' teams, I'd love to talk with you uh, if you love kids. If you, if you don't love kids, um, uh, you can come talk to me, but we're going to send you somewhere else. So um, I'm sure the Usher team can, uh, can, you know, could use some more help. I hear that's a dangerous job with all the counting the money and all the paper cuts and stuff. So. Hey, uh, we're in a, uh, a series called Love Is. Um, I was wondering if I could get it just spinning, uh, but it didn't work out just all the time spinning. I didn't know how in, um, interesting I would be, but I figured you guys would just get mesmerized and locked in, and I, think, I would think y'all are all just paying attention to me while you're staring at the screen. The, uh, hey, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We're in chapter 2, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. And um, I think we have the passage on the screen. I love the way the message puts it. Uh, um, uh, we, we'll go with the message this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, everything, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting. Sounds like America, doesn't it? The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts. God, I pray the same prayer that I pray for our kids and our students every single week. I pray that when we leave here that you would change our hearts and that you would change our minds and that you would make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story in Greek mythology, a lot of you guys are probably familiar with it, about a legendary king named Odysseus. And there's a lot of stories that go along with him. And one of the most intriguing ones is uh, Odysseus is with his sailor, uh, uh, with, the, with the ship and all the sailors that are on board and with his crew. And they're coming back from a war and they're headed home. And on the way home, they've been told that there's an island, this special secret island uh, that is inhabited by this group called the Sirens. And the sirens sing a siren song, and it is so beautiful, so enchanting, that everybody who hears the song is drawn over to this island. Every sailor is drawn over, and the the island is on uh, a lot of rocky cliffs. And so no matter if you want to go over, if you don't want to go over, if they hear the song, they're all drawn over and every sailor goes over. Anybody remember that story? Have you heard that story before? And you guys know, as they go over it, immediately when they get over there, it is to their doom, to their death. Nobody ever makes it out. Nobody makes it out alive. Sometimes uh, the sirens, some stories say they offer a special wisdom. Sometimes they offer, a, uh, they offer pleasure or whatever it is. The story, if you look at the pictures, are all the same, and it's terrible. It's terrible. The sirens draw these sailors over, and the image is always of these once strong, powerful, legendary warriors. Now it is emaciated, rotting corpses on this island. 
They are completely, completely destroyed because they heard the song of the sirens. So Odysseus tell, hears about this, and he tells his crew, he says, look, um, I want to be able to hear this song. And so they tie him to the front of the ship, and he fills the ears of all the people on the ship with um, uh, wax, with beeswax. And so he's going to be able to hear the siren song, but they cannot. And so as they're traveling along, sure enough, they're traveling by this island, and he hears this, these beautiful sounds, these beautiful songs coming out. And they're so amazing, even though he knows if he listens and he follows and he goes over to the island, it will be to their death. It's so enchanting that he says, please untie me, untie me, let's go, let's go. But because of the sailors couldn't hear what he was saying and they were focused on what was before them, they ignored. And he's the only, uh, uh, the, the, as the story goes, he's the only person that has ever heard the song of the sirens and lived. John paints this picture of two worlds, of two ways of living. And he has the world's ways, which are so enticing, which, are, which draw us close, and, and they, they, they so pervade culture that they're almost impossible to withstand. And you have the world's ways, and, they, and, and they're everywhere on one hand, and then on the other hand, you have God's ways. And he points out these two ways. You have God's ways and you have the world's ways. And then he says, I'm going to give you the secret to abundant life, the secret to life eternal, the best life that you could have when you're thinking on for the, for, with, the long, uh, with the long end in mind. I'm going to give you the secret. And he boils it all down, and here it is. Are you ready? It's really simple. He says this, don't love the world. Don't love the world. We're in a series called Love Is. This morning I want to tell you that love is loyal. Love is loyal. Loyalty, by definition, is an exclusive title. It's exclusive. If loyalty was such an easy word or, 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 or word that was just thrown around at any time, it wouldn't carry the weight that it does. But when you hear about someone being loyal, you think of not only what they are loyal to, but you can't help but also think of what they are loyally against or loyal in spite of. So loyalty is an exclusive title. Once you accept one thing, you are exclusively this and you are also against something else. And so John, the, the love disciple, the love guru, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, the love uh, writer, he's known as uh, John the Beloved. He's known as uh, the disciple who Jesus, whom Jesus loved. He is, a lot of what he writes is to be seen through the lens of love. And so it's not enough for John to talk about how much we should love Jesus and how much we should follow him and how much we should listen to him and how much we should, we should just love everything about God. He has to mention not only that, but he has to talk about what we are not to love. The negative side of loyalty is as important as the positive. You can't be loyal to something without being loyally against it. A loyalty, listen to this, a loyalty without limits is adultery. 
There has to be limits. There has to be boundaries. A loyalty without limits is adultery. I had this, um, I had uh, my best friend growing up. Uh, I lived in Hazel Green, Alabama. His name was Bubba. And uh, me and Bubba were best buds. He's still one of my best friends. We talk uh, on the phone. And I remember, I'm a middle school pastor. I remember being in middle school. How many of you guys, middle school was the absolute toughest time of your entire life looking back? Raise your hand. I am, I am old. I'm so old. I'm 30. I'm 30 years old. And uh, uh, up to this point, um, middle school was the toughest school time for me, not because of the workload, but just because of, man, kids are mean. And so uh, I remember being in middle school. I wanted to fit in. We all wanted to fit in. And so me and Bubba had just gone up to middle school. He lived in my neighborhood. And one day he comes over and um, uh, he knocks on the door and I open up the door. And there is Bubba standing there with big old, I don't know if you guys remember this, big old Jinko pants. They are these huge uh, uh, really wide pants, and he has on these uh, skater shoes, and they're all shredded, and uh, he has on, it's the summer, uh, it's the uh, uh, beginning of the school year, he has on this long flannel shirt, and his hair is greased down, and back then, that was the, what's called the grunge look. Anybody remember the grunge look? And I thought, Bubba, what are you doing? And uh, Bubba decided that he was going for the grunge look. He was going to be the grunge, and um, he only listened to alternative music. He wore Nirvana, uh, Nirvana shirts every day, and uh, he was the grungester. A few weeks later, he rings the doorbell, and I open up, and we're going to shoot basketball and, uh, or play outside or whatever. I open the door, and there he's standing with basketball shorts, a uh, NBA jersey, and these huge gold medallions dangling off his shirt. And I said, Bubba. And he goes, what's up, dog? <laughs> I said, okay. I said, I see, how we're, I see where we're going. Okay. So a while after that, he comes over to the house and he rings the doorbell a few months later. And he has on a, uh, a Ralph Lauren polo shirt, buttoned to the top, nice khakis, uh, uh, these nice uh, boots uh, on, uh, these nice boots on. And I said, What's up, Bubba? And he goes, hello, Joel. And um, in middle school, if you, were, you were defined by what you were loyal as, you were as defined as what you were loyal to as what you were loyally against. And you couldn't, man, you couldn't mix those groups. I don't, I, I, what's so cool, one, one thing that's so cool about uh, our, our, our middle school and, and, and teenage culture today is, man, it's like one of the most eclectic culture. You can do anything. You can listen to anything. You can dress how you want, and you don't have to be forced to listen to like a certain kind of music. And so it's not like that at all. But back then, it was very exclusive. You had to be loyal to something. And as loyal as you were to this, you were, as, uh, uh, you were loyally against, equally loyally against. There's this crazy story in um, Jeremiah chapter 7. And the uh, people of God are, uh, are not living right. And um, uh, I have the passage, but we're not going to read all the way through it. I, I, I don't think we have the time, but uh, I'll tell you the quick story. Basically, the people of God are not living right. Um, uh, and Jeremiah tells them that. But the problem is, is that they are uh, neglecting uh, the widow and the orphan they are neglecting uh, what God calls justice. They are neglecting to live 
right. But the problem was, was that they said that they had the temple. And the temple was kind of like church. It was this holy place where the presence of God resided. Now, you and I carry the presence of God with us everywhere we go now. And so it's a little bit different, but, but in, in Jeremiah's time, the temple represented the presence of the, uh, was where the presence of God was. And so these people would live however they wanted. They would worship whatever idols they wanted. And they would do anything that they wanted. And then they would get inside the temple and they would say, the temple of the Lord, it's a famous passage. It says, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we are safe. And Jeremiah comes back and God tells Jeremiah to say these words. No, you're not. No, you're not safe. You're, this, you're, you're living a lie. You can't do both. You can't live two ways. I encourage you to read it. Those of you guys that are going through the, uh, John, uh, the first John study with us, read Jeremiah chapter 7. It's very, very interesting. Jeremiah comes back and he says, no, you're not. You can't do that. You can't serve both. You can't do both. So God, the message was the same then. And then in Matthew, there's another story, Matthew chapter 7. You guys will remember this. Uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they ask him something about um, uh, heaven. And he says this, and this has always been the craziest passage to me. He says, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord. Do we have it, Jason? Many, many, uh, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not, as they're in heaven, and they're talking, uh, they're, they're at the judgment seat of God and, and, um, They'll say, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things for you? Did we not cast out, here we go, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Can you imagine, really, on that day, can you imagine somebody being in front of God and saying, look at what all I did. Look at all the things that I did. I healed people. We prophesied in your name. We casted out demons. Man, we're, we're, a, uh, 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 we, we're a Pentecostal church with Pentecostal roots that have seen a lot of amazing Pentecostal things that God has done. But somehow, somehow it's not enough that God's love is loyal and it is defined by as much what we are for as what we are against. So God gives us, listen to this, God gives us the freedom and the invitation to follow and to love him. But we do not have the freedom nor the invitation to define what that love looks like. Let me say that again. God gives us the freedom and the invitation to follow him and to love him, but we do not have the freedom nor the invitation to define what that love looks like. God has defined it for us and he says that love, his love, is loyal. So what do we do with the ways of the world that are, that are all around us? What do we do with temptation? John, uh, there's, a, there's a verse in James. Uh, I, I talk to uh, kids and students all the time, so I have to hold stuff in my hand. So There's this verse in James, James chapter 1, verse 14. And um, it says, uh, it talks about temptation, and it actually says, but each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. I like that word lured. Um, it is a, it is a the, the Greek word there, and actually the way they interpret it for us uh, in English on this one is 
uh, is a fishing term. Where are my fishermen at? Where are my, I'm sorry, fisher persons. I don't mean to, there we go. There we go. Raise your hands high. You guys be proud. Yeah, all right. The, uh, the, uh, the term there, lured, is a, is, a, is a fishing term, and it says that the enemy comes around and he lures us. Now, i got some money on the end of this. And the, and, the, and the picture that he gives us is this. I'm not a fisherman. We'll just leave it like that. And so, uh, is the enemy puts stuff in front of our face and lures us and entices us. Let me go over here to our MC students. They'll, they'll definitely be enticed by this. Puts it in front of us and dangles it. Hey, 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 hey. You guys, uh, here we got 20 bucks on the end of this. This is, this is enticing to me. And he dangles it in front of us. Some of you guys, he says, you know what? It's Sunday morning. Some of you guys own your own business. There's a lot of stuff that you could be doing. There's a lot of work that could be done. There's a lot of stuff that is on your desk tomorrow morning to do. You could be a lot of other places doing a lot of this stuff right here, making this. That is, and that's, what the, that's the thoughts that the enemy puts in our mind. And he, and he dangles it in front of us and to, lure, to try to lure us away. But to tell you the truth, that's really not even... Uh, that's, I mean, we live, in Shelby, we live in Shelby County. That's really not even entirely what it looks like to tell you the truth, he does try to lure us away, but I mean, we got, we're, there's sin everywhere. It kind of looks more like this. I mean, you guys are bombarded by sin. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, by temptation. <laughs> you are laughing at the Barbie, aren't you? You are bombarded by it everywhere you go. What do you do? Everywhere you look, you have stuff, you have these evil desires all around, all around here. I'm not going to be able to preach with this thing on, am I? All around here, inside here, you're bombarded everywhere you go. I mean, I mean let's, let's be honest, you can't go to the store and check out in the line without seeing soft porn on the aisles trying to get out. It's everywhere you look. You live in America. Here's my big Tonka truck right here. This, this represents uh, uh, toys, wanting, uh, wanting, wanting, wanting what you want. You live, we live in America, and we, <laughs> we are constantly being tempted and bombarded, bombarded by the world's ways, by worldly desires. So what do you do? I'm going to tell, I've got a couple, um, I've got a couple ideas that I took from John and, um, and uh, just two points. And if you guys are taking notes, you guys can write these down. The first one is this. Uh, I love what Pastor Jay said a couple weeks ago when he was giving our introduction to 1 John and he was talking about uh, wounded, being wounded and wounded people. And how to deal with that. And his point was this, and it's the same point I have, and it is, and it's the same point as John. And it is to start with Jesus. First John chapter two, verses five and six um, says that we are to, here we go. My dear children, I write this to you so you won't sin. That's not what I'm looking for. There we go. Thank you. Wait, five and six. Verses five and six. Anyway, 
it says this, that we are to live as Jesus lived. That we are to live the way that Jesus lived. Now, anybody remember the WWJD thing? Y'all remember WWJD bracelets? I, got, I remember getting a WWJD bracelet. But WWJD stuff frustrates the heck out of me because, um, uh, you know, you, you get into this situation and, and you're being tempted or whatever, and you look down and you see your WWJD bracelet and you think, oh, I, I know what Jesus would do in this moment. He would walk on water, but I'm not walking on water right now, so I don't really know. I don't know, you know, I think I'm, I'm in a, um, maybe, uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm in an argument with my wife, which never happens uh, We've been married almost, almost 10 years now, and we have totally gone past all that um, uh, arguing. Uh, but I think, you know, what would Jesus do in this moment? And I go, I don't know. Jesus was never married. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm getting, and I'm getting I get frustrated. And that's what's wrong with the whole WWJD thing, is that the Scripture doesn't even tell us to do what Jesus did. It tells us to live how Jesus lived. And there's a big difference between do and live. To do what he did, I, I, maybe, maybe you guys can perform some amazing miracles at will. I cannot. It really depends on Jesus. But if we look at how he lived, we kind of have the answer. How do we overcome temptation? How do we love not the world? That's really the question. And the way we do it is to start with Jesus. How did he live? Jesus was the most others-focused person that has ever lived. When we focus on our own issues and our own struggles and our own temptations and our own sin. And it just, it, we just think about it all the time and all the time and all the time. We're consumed by it. But Jesus was the most others focused, always had his mind out, always had his eyes out on the needs of other people, taking his eyes off of himself and putting them on others. Scripture also says that Jesus said he only did what he saw his father doing, nothing else, which is pretty amazing. Me and Lindsay, uh, when we first got married, I was going to school and waiting tables at night. She had two jobs, and I remember we didn't have much money, and uh, I, I worked at Chili's, and there was this lady that was there, and I overheard her talking, and she was uh, so upset. She was real mad. Her na- this lady's name was Debbie, and um, she had waited tables for, I think, over 35 years, and um, she had a six-year-old little boy. I remember, she was so frustrated because she didn't have... Um, uh, she was telling somebody, she said, I have no way to buy my son any kind of presents for Christmas. I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, business is slow. What in the world are we going to do? And I remember thinking, man, I'd love to do something, but I mean, we don't have any money. And so I went and talked to Lindsay and I said, hey, Debbie, this lady, she's, she is, um, uh, they are in need. And uh, Lindsay, didn't, Lindsay didn't even know her. And I said, she is, uh, she's, she's a real tough lady. She's a real hard lady. She had yelled at me numerous times. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, but, and she was just far from God. But, man, she needed Jesus. And I said, I said do you think we can do anything? Do you think we could help her out? And uh, Lindsay, of course, soft heart, Lindsay goes, yes, yes, let, let's do something. So we go and we bought a couple superhero toys for this little six-year-old, and I think what six-year-old doesn't like superhero stuff. So we bought a couple things. The next day, I go to uh, I go to work, and I walk in. I say, "Hey, Debbie, hey, come over here." And she goes, uh, "Yeah, what is it? I'm hurry. I'm in a hurry." I said, "Hey, look, I heard you say that you didn't have anything for um, uh, your son for Christmas, and I just I, 
you know, I just, Lindsay and I just wanted to kind of help out. We didn't have, you know, we don't have any kids or whatever. And I give her this little Walmart bag and it's got a couple, it wasn't much. And she looks at me in this hard lady um, who had lived a long, hard life just breaks down in front of me. And she just starts crying. And she goes, I didn't know what I was, you know, she's crying. I said, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to get my, I was going to get my kid. And she goes, why did you do that? And I said, I, I, we just, me and, Jesus, uh, me and Lindsay, you know, we just wanted you to know that we love you and God loves you. And she just was, she had this confused, amazing, peaceful, perplexed look on her face while she's crying. And you could just see her trying to figure this out. And I promise you, as, as, Amazing as she thought that was, that she was able to provide some kind of Christmas for her kid, it didn't touch how incredible I felt. That I had taken my, for just a brief moment, my, all my attention off of myself and put it on somebody else, and I just felt. You guys ever feel like God actually is like working in your life? And actually, you know, we don't always feel God, but you feel like God's actually moving. I felt like Man, I felt God's presence like I hadn't felt in a long time. This woman's praying, uh, crying in front of me. And I tell you something. One of the ways to overcome the, the love of the world's ways that, that is everywhere that we can possibly look, one of those ways is to start with Jesus. Live as he lived, others focused. The second way is this. Stop with the self-criticism. Eventually, you've got to decide, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm, 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 yes, I'm bad. I'm dark. I've sinned. I've done wrong. I still mess up. I still do things wrong. Yes, I've done all. Th- yes, eventually, you've got to hit that moment, and then you say, but God, but God, You cannot allow your emotions as a mature mature Christian to dictate your status with God. You cannot allow your emotions to dictate your status with God. You are no closer to Jesus in your joy as you are in your sadness or even in your depression. He is no closer or further away from you in any emotion that you have, whether you are on fire on Sunday morning thinking God's love is so strong And then Monday morning hits and you go, God, where are you? You can't change your past. You can't change what you've done. Some some of you guys in here probably battle your, if you're like me, you battle your your thoughts all the time. Your thought life uh, uh, needs transforming. And so you battle your thoughts and you battle uh, these thoughts that come in about your past and the enemy reminds you of your past and things that you've done and you come in here and I'm sitting on the front row and I'm about to come up here and, and, and preach and I'm thinking about all the reasons why I shouldn't be in front of people preaching. The enemy's going, look, at you really, man, you, you're not that really good of a Christian. And I'm going, you're right, I'm not, man. What about this? Scripture says, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. His mercies are new every morning. And you and I need to decide each morning when we get up to say this. His mercies are new every morning and I accept them. And I accept them. 
Yes, we are to be loyal to God. Yes, we are to love God. Our love is to be loyal, and we are to not love the world's ways, but we are to love God's ways. The problem is, is that that doesn't always work out. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The same chapter that we're in says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you won't sin. But if anybody does sin, that's me, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Those of you and me who struggle with loving the world's ways and having wrong desires and have, you're battling, you're going, I want to love God, I want to love God, I want to love God, I want you more. Justin sang a song this morning. It just said, I, I, I want you more. And sometimes the problem is, is those desires for the world's ways overpower that desire that we have for God and we, do, we want other things more. And John gives us the, this way out and he tells us that love is loyal, but he shows us whose love it is that is really loyal. Those of you that do sin, if you do, know this. We have an advocate. We have an intercessor. We have someone who goes before us, who, co who has covered our sin, and who can go to the Father, and his name is Jesus. Theologians call this the scandal of grace. Romans 5, 6, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That the perfect God would die in the place of sinners, such as I, it is preposterous to the point of scandal. Yet God's love is loyal. Loyal to his promise, to his covenant, to his plan, and to his creation. To you and I. He's loyal to you. God's love is loyal. And when your love falls and it fails and you fall on your face and you don't measure up and I don't measure up and we start to compare ourselves with those that we think do measure up, when we fail and we fall, John shows us the right perspective. He puts it in place. He... he puts our eyes back on the thing that matters. And he says, but if you sin, because it's going to happen. You have an advocate. Some of you in here need to hear, need to listen and hear that you have an advocate in the bombardment of judgment and guilt that you feel that the enemy is placing on you needs to be taken off and removed. Because you're not judged on what you've done, but on what God has done. Let me pray for you guys, and then we're going to go. God, you're so good to us. You're so loyal to us. Your love is so loyal, so ridiculously amazing that it is considered an absolute scandal that we don't get what we deserve, that we don't get what we put in. God, we get back what you put in. Your love is based on yourself and on the, on the uh, loyalty that you have with us. God, I thank you for your love. I pray for every man, woman, and student, and child that is in here, God, that you would sear our hearts this morning. 
that you would let us know, let us realize, God, this week, God, that your love is loyal. Yes, yes, we're not to love the world's ways, God, but when we do, when we fall, when we fail, when we stumble, Lord God, that your love is loyal and that you pick us back up. You raise us back up. God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your character, that we can't change it, that our sin can't change, that you're good. God, go with every single person in here this week. God, burn this message in their mind as they begin to have doubts again throughout the week. How could God be uh, loyal to them? And it's because of Jesus, the advocate. We bless you this morning. Amen. Amen. You guys.